X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, November 17th. Why am I doing this? Because who else wants to stay up this late to make sure this darn thing happens every morning so that Will Romy can edit it? X-Ray. Today, back in the day, November 27, 1961, the Albany Movement was formed to challenge segregation and get voting rights for African Americans. The group was led by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC. At the time, Albany, Georgia's population was 40% black, but very few were registered to vote, and the city was segregated. Today, back in the day, November 17, 1973, Richard Nixon delivered his famous I Am Not a Crook speech after the Watergate scandal. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. The Watergate scandal describes the Nixon administration's continuous cover-up for his involvement in the break-in of the Democratic National Committee headquarters. In response to allegations against Nixon, he got before a room of 400 Associated Press reporters and gave the soundbite of a lifetime. Following the investigation, the House Judiciary Committee moved to impeach Nixon, citing abuse of power. He resigned August 8, 1974. Today, back in the day, November 17, 1977, Oregon legend Leonard Walulis died in Bend, Oregon. Walulis was a well-known lumberjack who had put on Paul Bunyan demonstrations, once shaved with an axe for a Ripley's Believe It or Not contest in Portland. Walulis also participated in lumberjack carnivals, won a chopping competition in front of a crowd of 10,000. Five years after his death, his wife Anna delivered his axes to the Tillamook County Pioneer Museum, where you can still go see them. And today, not so far back in the day, November 17, 2019, what is believed to be the first case of coronavirus was recorded. The presumed patient zero was from the Hubei province in China, an estimated nine people got it later in the month. The virus was believed to be of animal origin, resulted in a pneumonia outbreak of unknown cause in December. And that led to an investigation and eventual discovery of the new SARS strain known as COVID-19. Now, a year later, 1.3 million people have died from that virus. Today, we'll have your Quick 6 News headlines and an interview with Street Roots journalist Emily Green on the passage of Measure 110. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. The House Democratic Caucus nominated Tina Kotek for House Speaker, but without the majority of votes committed. The vote took place in a closed-door session Monday evening. Tina Kotek is the longest-tenured House Speaker serving for seven years. In a surprise turn of events, Janelle Bynum announced that she would challenge Kotek for the spot. Bynum serves as chair of the House Judiciary Committee and chair of the Committee Tackling Police Reform. She's one of the more prominent lawmakers pushing for criminal justice reform and police accountability. Bynum, a member of the BIPOC caucus, wanted to advance those issues to the forefront of the House, also had some critiques on how the caucus was being run. It turned out that Tina Kotek was the only candidate designated by the caucus, but she didn't receive the 31 votes on the second ballot. So the way it works, there's two ballots. The first ballot, everybody nominates or votes for their preference to be the caucus designee to be speaker. On the second ballot, everybody votes to pledge their vote on the floor to say that so say we all of us, we will vote for this caucus designee before the entire world. Well, Tina Kotek was the only person in that first ballot, but Janelle Bynum still said she was going to run in front of the floor. And on that second ballot, although there are well over 31 Democrats in that room, Tina Kotek didn't get 31 votes on the second ballot. So there will be a floor vote. Speculation has it that they might work something out prior to that floor vote. Restaurants are only open for takeout, and they've made pleas to their government for help. 
In a press conference Monday morning, Mayor Ted Wheeler urged Portlanders to patronize local restaurants. But local business owners are looking for more robust response than just asking for some customers. Ted Wheeler says city government plans to do more, has already given a chunk of its CARES money to the industry. But he said there's a limit to what a city government can do. I want to acknowledge that the resources that we have available to us at the city of Portland are far from sufficient to be able to support the entirety of that industry, as well as many others that are impacted economically throughout the duration of the COVID crisis. Uh, We'll do what we can with the resources we have available. We are speaking with people directly in the industry. We're willing to work with them. Uh, with the resources we have available, but we're also counting on both the state and the federal government to continue to work with our jurisdiction as well as jurisdictions all across the country where restaurants in particular are, uh, are, are really struggling. The Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon addressed an open letter to Kate Brown on Sunday. They requested emergency measures to ensure all workers receive their unemployment benefits quickly, financial relief for small restaurants and bars, deferral of all business taxes and licensing fees for nine months, the ability to default or end commercial leases without having personal assets taken, and a moratorium on commercial evictions. Stay tuned on that. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. 781 new cases, a bit lower than the past few days. But over the past 12 days, the state has recorded its 12 highest daily case counts yet. 57,646 cases total. Health Authority reported four deaths from the virus. That included a 41-year-old man from Washington County who did not have underlying health conditions. In other news, I got a mail order test today just to make sure my pot is safe. And Oregon has seen a total of 765 deaths from COVID-19. Washington state has seen over 130,000 cases and over 1,500 deaths. Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced new COVID restrictions. They're similar to Oregon, but a few are even more strict. For example, retail stores in Washington have to limit their indoor capacity to only 25%. In Oregon, stores were limited to 75%. Indoor gatherings with people from more than one household are discouraged. Washington restrictions will last for at least four weeks. Oregon, minimum of two weeks. Washington was the site of the nation's first coronavirus outbreak. Recently, the state has been reporting thousands of new coronavirus cases every day. The historic Anna Mann home in northeast Portland is going to become affordable housing. The Elizabethan mansion in the Kearns neighborhood was sold for $8.85 million in May to the nonprofit Innovative Housing. Now, Innovative Housing has released plans to transform that building into apartments and to build two new housing units on the property. Of the 128 proposed apartments, 42 of them are intended for families making less than 30% of the area's median income, the remaining 86 for people making less than 60% of the area's median income. The projects can be paid for in part by the affordable housing bond from 2016. The mansion was built in 1910. It's been a home for the elderly, an addiction treatment facility, and a yoga and meditation center. I did yoga there once. I was really, really bad at it. Every time the yoga instructor gave a corrective instruction, it was clear to everybody in the room she was basically just talking to me. During Downward Dog, she said, make a good V, and then noted that mine was more like a bad M. The Anna Mann home was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1992. They hope to begin renovation and construction in the middle of next year. 
the push for a new Southwest Max line might not be over yet. Without proper funding, the proposed Max line to Tigard is on hold, but the new federal administration offers new hope for TriMet. If Congress can pass a large infrastructure package, of course, Peter DeFazio is the head of that committee, it'll reduce the financial strain the project would put on regional government. TriMet General Manager Doug Kelsey said his agency has been in touch with Biden's transition team about the project. Kelsey already has a working relationship with Phil Washington, the head of transportation issues on Biden's team. Until Congress passes a stimulus package, however, the proposed max line will remain on hold. Here's Doug Kelsey's quote, We are winding down the project, but I believe it will reemerge because the demand still exists. Metro plans to increase garbage disposal fees. Portlanders rejected Metro's proposed payroll tax this year, so the regional government is going to have to find some money elsewhere. How are they doing it? Raising tipping fees for garbage haulers. Metro charges haulers per ton to dump trash at the regional transfer centers. It's called a tipping fee. Not like a tip in a restaurant, but like tipping up the back of the garbage truck. Usually, fee increases are announced in July during budget talks. So this mid-year announcement has raised some eyebrows in local government. Cities will have to raise garbage pickup fees on residents, only by about 60 cents per household. Metro has faced a budget crisis since the pandemic began, largely due to the closure of the convention center and the Oregon Zoo. In March, the agency announced they'd lay off 40% of their employees due to those budget constraints. The increase in tipping fees will help Metro cover some of those losses. And some local arts news is a new documentary about 2020's historic civil rights movement with Portland at its epicenter. The documentary is titled Tipping Point. It doesn't have anything to do with garbage trucks. It was produced by Portland Art Space, the Old Church, in association with some serious business. It'll tell the story of Portland's ongoing protests, which have been used as both a source of inspiration and a tool for fear-mongering by politicians, the current President of the United States, community organizers, and others across the country. The film seeks to humanize the struggle to protect black lives and reimagine community safety. The documentary features interviews with about 20 local activists, artists like Mike Crenshaw, it's hosted by Grammy-nominated artist and host of the Week and Listen event series, Julianne Johnson. Tipping Point will be available to stream for free today on this day, Tuesday, November 17th. And in your Blazers news, the Portland Trail Blazers have traded for Robert Covington of the Houston Rockets, previously of the Philadelphia 76ers. The Blazers traded Trevor Ariza, the Blazers' 2020 first-round pick, that's this year's pick, plus another future first-round pick. It's a steep price, but length and defense at the wing is a big priority for the coming season. The Blazers need to go all in for Damian Lillard's prime. Go Blazers, bread and circus. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Oregon decriminalized possession of small amounts of drugs. What's next? Now we'll hear from Street Roots correspondent Emily Green discussing the historic passing of Measure 110 with X-Ray's Andy Lindbergh. Here are Emily and Andy. Thank you for joining us today, Emily. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, um, so Oregon decriminalized drugs. What's, what's next? Yeah, I mean, we are really embarking on an experiment in our state as other states across the nation watch to see if decriminalization is going to work. Um, and so our editorial board this week decided to take a look at that and um, offer some advice on what we think should be done next to make sure that rather than this being used as an example for why de- decriminalization doesn't work, huh. we can look back on how Oregon took a you know, pivotal step in the reversing the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's really going to make a difference is 
um, whether or not we increase or decrease the rate of substance use disorder in this state. Okay. Um, and in Oregon, I mean, we really have our work cut out for us on this. Um, anywhere from between 7 and 10% of Oregonians struggle with substance use every year. That's close to double the population of Medford or Eugene. And mm. at the same time, we're always ranking near the bottom in terms of treatment, um, recovery services, and prevention programs. Um, so we're calling on a couple different actions that we believe will help the rate of substance use disorder decline. Um, for one, we think that the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission, which is a governor-appointed state commission, should oversee the plan's implementation. Um, so a little bit of background on that. The Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission was established to create a statewide plan to fix Oregon's broken treatment and recovery system, and it did. That plan was actually approved by a legislature earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Authors of Measure 110 didn't really consult with the plan or the commission, but people on all sides of the measure, those for and against it, seem to agree that the measure and plan can really work well together and that it makes sense for that commission to take on that role. So uh, in the article, um, I saw the surprising statistic that 17% of Oregon's entire state budget went towards substance abuse disorders but that only 1% of that money went toward prevention and treatment of addiction. What is the rest of that 17 or the, the 16%? What does the rest of it go toward? Oh, it's a pretty incredible statistic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, so that, that was, uh, came out of an analysis from the alcohol and drug policy commission that I was just mentioning. And, um, a lot of that money is going to treat what they describe as, um, results of our failure to address, fixing our broken systems. So um, processing people through courts and the jail system for um, drug possession arrests. Um, So some of that money is already going to be saved, right, with the passage of Measure 110. Mm -hmm. And then there's all the health impacts um, from substance abuse that, you know, might be going through Medicaid, Medicare, um, all kinds of different costs to our, you know, state and county agencies related to health care programs and and just all the other societal costs that fall around substance use disorder. I mean, you can look at foster care, you can look at domestic violence, um, the list goes on. What, uh, how will the different aspects of, of Measure 110 be funded? Is that, is that just coming out of the general fund? Well, Measure 110 redirected um, marijuana tax dollars in excess of $45 million to a grant program that will basically go to mostly existing treatment programs. Um, Now, the other thing, you know, Street Roots is calling for is for the state to actually implement the plan we already had to fix the broken system, which goes, I think, beyond what Measure 10 outlined. I mean, they're they're talking about really substantive changes to um, prevention Um, recovery services as the director of that commission, uh, Dr. Reginald Richardson told me, we cannot treat our way out of this crisis. Um, We really have to stop people from using before they start in many instances. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they've outlined a really comprehensive way to do that. And that's going to take a lot of funding. Um, And there's a couple different ways that that can happen. Uh, But one of the other things Street Roots is calling for is that legislature really figure that out in the next regular session starting early next year. Um, 
And one proposal on the table comes from Rep. Tana Sanchez, and that is to um, implement a across-the-board tax on alcohol in order to fund the system. Um, that's going to be really difficult to do politically, and you know, especially as we're looking at our restaurant and bar and brewery and spirits industries all just teetering on the edge during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But you know, if it doesn't work, uh, we've already seen Oregon Recovers, uh, which has proven itself to be a pretty powerful lobbying player. Um, it's a group made up of thousands of people who are in recovery from mm-hmm. drug and alcohol use. They've already uh, done some polling um, just last month that showed 76% of Oregonians said that they would support an increase in alcohol tax if it went to pay for more treatment and recovery services. So. If legislature doesn't figure this out, we could be looking at another ballot measure. Is is there a, a to your knowledge is is there a um, uh, how how does how does support for for this measure kind of break down around the state? Uh, do would we expect to see? Uh, rural communities, um, uh, you know, in in more support of this because of of the you know the the drug and alcohol uh, problems that that uh, rural Oregon faces, or does this kind of break down along uh, party lines? Where where's the support and opposition uh, now that we're now that we're 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 past the the amendment or the the ballot measure? You know, I I don't know that we have a good measure of that. I mean, it's passed. Um, It definitely, I know it passed with a greater margin in the metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know the exact breakdown for around the state. Um, One thing I do know is that we'll actually see a lot of benefit to rural communities because those are the areas where uh, we've seen over and over again that access to treatment and recovery services um, is is worse even mm-hmm. than in the metropolitan area. Interesting. Now, the um, uh, what what needs to happen for for this to work? You know, you talked about the um, uh, a little bit about about funding a little bit about the 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 various uh you know kind of existing plans and players how how do they come together to make this work so i think the 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 crux of it is that we need to make it in oregon so that when a person is ready to quit they can access treatment immediately mm-hmm. um Dr. Richardson described it, you know, if, if I tell you I have chest pain and I'm having a hard time breathing, um, I can get an ambulance here that will whisk me away to a hospital immediately and they can start to help me. Um, we need a recovery system that's similar to that. And because right now, I mean, it can take a long time to get into a program and that desire to quit can be fleeting, right? You know, this is, it's, it's very nuanced. Um, and we're just so far from that. And implementation of this plan, I mean, this plan was put together over the course of a year and they talked to people in recovery, people working in recovery, um, just all kinds of different stakeholders, did lots of community um, listening sessions around the state and um, really outlined, you know, ways that we can get at this and and have it you know be really robust 
so that, you know, fewer, ideally fewer people are ever even starting to use um, and people who do, you know, can get the help that they need if they discover, you know, they have an issue with it. And, and that's really what it's going to take for this to be successful. And that's something Oregon needed to do and has needed to do for a long time anyway. Um, it's just now with the passage of this measure, you know, I think the impetus is really on us to, you know, see it through, you know, are we going to decriminalize drugs, but then not offer any support <laughs> for people who are struggling <laughs> with them? Um, or are we going to, you know, use this as the motivator to finally, you know, invest in fixing this problem? Yeah, I've, I've seen a number of of um, of headlines uh, discussing various uh, states uh, legalizing medical and or recre- recreational uh, marijuana use and that, you know, that, that the war on drugs is over and that drugs won. Um, and it, it just seems like, um, you know, that's that the this is, as, as we started out uh, talking about, that this is an opportunity for for us to change the way that we look at uh, uh, treatment, and I love that analogy of the you know if if it seems like I'm having a heart attack, um, I can get uh, there's there's a whole system set up to get the right medical care for for those symptoms, and so uh, seems like that setting up a similar um, uh, infrastructure for uh, people who are are dealing with uh, uh, substance abuse uh, is going to possibly be what comes out of this. Um, uh, how do you feel like Oregonians are uh, uh, involved enough with with this topic? How do people get more involved and learn more? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And I think it's important that Oregonians do pay attention. I mean, they voted, you know, overwhelmingly in favor of this measure. So, I mean, we know that this is something widely supported in this state, but it has a long way to go. Um, Maybe not time wise, but legislature has a lot of decisions along the way to make um, figure out how this is going to be implemented. And there are a lot of places where it could be watered down, where it could turn into something that doesn't really look like what Oregonians envisioned when they voted yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we also encourage people to pay attention. Um, there are committees that they could get involved with. They can t- contact their um, state and Senate re- uh, repre- representatives, um, let them know what they would like to see come out of this. And uh, one one way they can get involved is to go to the Yes Campaign's website. They actually have a survey that runs people through a few questions on where they might, you know, be interested in getting involved, and then um, we'll send them a response on next steps to take. That's great. That's great. So that's uh, to get to that uh, survey, uh, you can go to voteyesonone10.org. Um, Emily, thank you so much for for, uh, joining us this morning and and talking about uh, what's next for Measure 110. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. Thanks to Emily for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving your five-star review, and thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.
X-Ray.